album. All right, that is it for me today. I hope you guys are excited for Living Writers coming up next. Do you receive unsolicited mail, telephone calls, or email? Are you concerned about your privacy? You should know the Federal Trade Commission has information about consumer privacy, including a single form that can dramatically reduce unsolicited advertising from the Direct Marketing Association. The Federal Trade Commission can also help tell credit bureaus to keep your personal information private. Here's how to order. For more information, visit www.ftc.gov or call 1-877-FTC-HELP. afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. And today I'm so happy to have in the studio with me Lou Daggerman and Nancy Pick uh, with the book, their book, um, The Writer and the Refugee. Um, thanks so much for being here, Lou and Nancy. Thank you for having us. Yes, it's a treat. <laughs> it's, well, it's great. It's great to see you and um, a lovely day in Ann Arbor. Fun bumping into you on the sidewalk <laughs> as well. Um, and we've got Gina behind the glass uh, making us sound good. Um, so before I go any further, I will read the short bios in the back of the book, The Writer and the Refugee. And there's a, and also I'll, I'll read the rest, because there's like a subtitle here, um, Paris 1947, Stieg Daggerman and Etta Federn, their encounter sparks a brilliant play, but why is it so cruel? So we'll be talking about that today on the program and hearing about how this project came to be and was built. Lou Daggerman is the daughter of Stieg Daggerman and Swedish actress Anita Bjork. Lou has lived and worked in the United States for over 35 years. She has master's degrees in public transport planning and counseling and has, among others, worked as a school counselor in the Washington, D.C. area where she lives with her husband. Lou is involved in many projects aimed at making Stieg Daggerman's work and life better known in the United States. She is currently working with her filmmaker son, Dan Levy Daggerman, on two films related to Marty's Shadow, a TV play based on the New York stage production and a documentary titled The Making of a Man. She's also the co-translator of Stieg Daggerman's last novel, Wedding Worries, published by David R. Godin in 2018. And so you all, um, longtime listeners may remember uh, Lou from, from that show when we talked about the book. Nancy Pick is the author of the rarest of the rare, HarperCollins Scala Arts, about the stories behind the Harvard Museum of Natural History. A graduate of Amherst College, she lives with her husband in western Massachusetts. 
like her ancestral cousin, Edith Verdern. She has studied many languages, including French, Spanish, Hebrew, German, and Hungarian. Well, again, welcome. Welcome to the program. <laughs> and so, so good to see you all. So today we get to talk about a project that engulfed how you both met each other mm -hmm. <laughs> and engulfed some some serious time together um, in the research process um, and fun time as well um, and then a writing process too that happened can um, and it was all because of this moment in 1947 when each of your relatives their paths crossed um, in Paris uh, after the Second World War um, and does it all start with typewriters? Because that's how the book starts, <laughs> as a symbolic metaphor. Well, um, both Stieg and Etta were, of course, rioters. And I think for both Nancy and I, we, we should say that Nancy and I had no idea about each other. And our meeting was incredibly you know, out of the blue. I don't know if you want to say something about that. Well, because you're a close reader of a website, right, Nancy? Exactly. And I'm also a journalist. And as Lou knows, I'm nitpicky. And um, so I found a minor error on the website about one of my ancestral cousins. So I wrote to this website to say, mm, you know, it's nice if the internet is as accurate as possible. Could we maybe get this little error corrected? And the person who wrote back to me in perfect English was Lou. And and what was the error, Nancy? Do you remember? <laughs> everybody says, hey, what was the error? And, and I have to say, you, you know, to everybody, love your errors. Because your errors can take you on adventures like, like this. ours. Like yeah. this one. So what was the error, Nancy? The error was that the website said that my ancestral cousin had died during the Spanish Civil War. But in fact, he had been killed as a kind of heroically, actually, during the French resistance fighting the Nazis. And, and at the very end, like such a, I mean, each death, um, such a such a loss and his like coming towards like the very, very end. Weeks like, before the right. liberation of France. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then, then thus began um, this like a uh, relationship, like via email, that led to, yeah, you, you know, but that wasn't the mystery where he had died. I mean, you know, that was easily corrected and, you know, but there was something else here that was to me, um, you know, I'm sitting in my kitchen in Washington. I get this email from somebody up in in Massachusetts, who is a relative, a distant relative, but a relative of of persons that my father had written a play about. And the play isn't very nice. I got a little scared. Because you thought, what are the follow-up emails going to be like? I, <laughs> yeah, I need to look into, you know, first of all, she's, you know, finding this error. And then um, she doesn't know yet what the play is about. So let's talk about the play mm -hmm. then. So what is Marty's shadow um, about? 
Well, Marty's <laughs> shadow is is loosely based on my ancestral cousins. So to set the stage, we have um, Etta Fadern. So she is a refugee who has barely survived World War II in hiding in Lyon in France. She has lost her older son, as we mentioned, as a hero in the French resistance. He was quite heroic and dashing. And she's left with her younger son, who has survived the war. Who Michel. Is Michel, the sort of opposite of someone who's heroic and dashing. He's very nerdy and awkward. And this woman has taken all of her pain out on her younger son. And in the play, now this is not real life, in the play, that younger son is so angry and so humiliated by his mother that he murders her. So my my father, yeah, you know, when, when he meets Etta, Etta is an old woman. Uh, she's a refugee in Paris. She's, you know really don't have many years left. And she's really fallen into poverty. Everything that she's owned is taken away from her. Her published books, her art uh, was taken by the Nazis and by um, French collaborators with the Nazis. Um, She's managed to survive. um, Her language was taken away from her as well. And she has no teeth and she's trying to make a living as a palm reader. And she is able to read people's characters quite um, in a canny way. So Mm -hmm. 1947, Lou, you were starting to say, is when your father, Stieg Daggerman, travels down. He's on commission to to write a piece uh, about the French Spring. And he, about uh, post-war France, and it was going to be a follow-up to his su- success, German Autumn, that he had written the year before. So he is coming, you, you know, he is, he is now a writer on everybody's lips in Sweden. He's coming to Paris. He is 25 years old. He's married. He's with his wife. Exactly. Who is a German political refugee and who knows... Etta from before. And then he comes to this small refugee hotel, very dingy, and meets with Etta and becomes, from what we understand, mesmerized still by this woman. And and do you want to say something, Nancy, about how we know that she still had powers to mesmerize? Because there is this... this, um this blend of research that both of you have done to produce this 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 work this book but it's research but it's imagination as well right so we didn't actually find any documents that describe their meeting and um that was where we needed to do some recreation but we did have an account of what edda was like um when another writer came to her and walked into that dingy, nasty refugee apartment and found this woman who was able to recite Goethe by heart, who knew Faust by heart, who knew all of his poetry by heart. And the writer who encountered her came away feeling that he was sort of 
lit from the inside that this woman was was glowing and had this incredible fire in her soul and so we knew that on the inside she still had that and you were able to to think perhaps when Stieg came with his wife Anne Marie who knew her mm-hmm. and they were welcomed into this apartment mm-hmm. that might that was probably his experience of her this this uh, magnetism this this uh in, this intelli- this clear intelligence mm-hmm. and it was also german intelligentsia you know she had been she grew up in vienna and of course went to school there but then she spent her working life until she was 50 in berlin and wrote, she was also um, uh, in in groups around Rainer Maria Rilke, the poet. And my father then, Stieg, had named his two kids after Rainer Maria Rilke. And to sit in this refugee apartment in Paris, 47, with this woman, and they spoke in German, uh, which you couldn't do in Paris in 1947, outside these doors. And I'm sure he was really taken in. And and Stieg also, in his past history, because there seems like there's so much family history here that this this book, The Writer and the Refugee, um, explores um, and connections with family and mm-hmm. wounds and loss yeah. with family. Because um, Stieg Daggerman, his mother had um, had left him at his paternal family's farm um, when he was a baby. Yes. Um, and so it's probably not a stretch also that there's going to be tension with a strong female person that Mm -hmm. you meet and can admire and then also see her in a role maybe subsequently when Michelle enters the apartment Mm -hmm. as a mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A a strong mother. Yeah. You see, so... Our research as we are, you know, the the sources that we gradually come to and, you know, other people's encounter with Etta and so forth, that we can see that Stieg has so many things. It's also the political connection to Etta. Uh, They were both anarcho-syndicalists and, you know, Spain was the civil war and so forth was a very, very powerful experience for all anarcho-syndicalists. So there was so much that bound them together. But then there was a moment when they seemed to be torn apart. Right. So I had thought that Stieg might in fact see Etta as a mother figure. And from the very beginning, Lou was like, oh, no, 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 absolutely not. Stieg did not identify with her. In the end, he identified with Michelle, his, her, her younger son. And um, he was the wounded one, the one hurt by the, by the absence of a loving mother. 
And that was where the real bond. And his pain and suffering his is pain what and suffering. Stieg Daggerman connected to in order to imagine this play, mm-hmm. Marty's Shadow. Mm-hmm. Let's take a short break <laughs> and then we'll come back and we'll hear more. Today on the program, Lou Daggerman is here and Nancy Pick, the writer and the refugee. Paris 1947, Stieg Daggerman and Edda Federn. Their encounter sparks a brilliant play. But why is it so cruel? I'm T. Hetzel, you've got Living Writers, and we'll be back. Des yeux qui tombaient, c'est les miens, un rire qui se perd sur sa bouche, voilà le portrait sans retouche de l'homme auquel j'appartiens. Quand il me prend dans ses bras, il me parle tout bas, je vois la vie en rose. Il me dit des mots d'amour, des mots de tous les jours, ça me fait quelque chose. Il est entré dans mon cœur, une part de bonheur. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, so glad you did. Uh, Today on Living Writers, Lou Daggerman and Nancy Pick are here in the studio. Their book, a collaboration called The Writer and the Refugee, um, published in Stockholm in 2017 and now in English translation in 2019. So the making of this book, uh, you go, we talked earlier about how your your connection to each other began via email and writing. Um, and then it, it, it turned into even you were eventually on a road trip together and meeting in person. Um, can you talk about, because the structure of the book, like how you decided to have both of your voices um, represented and how that came to be, the way to tell this story. I want to, I want to talk about that because that was so hard. No, <laughs> no it, um, it, to, you know, so we are collecting this material and, you know, we thought Nancy was saying, well, you know, maybe we can write an article or really what she was saying, maybe you can write an article and, Okay, I mean, I'm not really a writer, and you know, I'm not. But she was encouraging me. She had, you know, belief in me, and that that was wonderful. I felt very good about that. And material was captivating. However, the attempt to write an article turned out to be there was way too much material. It's way too complicated. And we went through a process that involved my beloved husband, who said that, you know, maybe what you guys need to do is that, Lou, you write about Stieg, and Nancy, you write about Ada. And I thought that that was... It was 
hard for me to also write about Edda and because that's really about Nancy's relationship with with Edda and you needed to own that. Right. In fact, the relationship between the two of them was somewhat adversarial. You might say that Stieg betrayed Edda and that set up a really nice kind of tension for the book so that we each claimed the psyche of our own relative. And it did make it tricky to structure, and there are um, ultimately sort of alternating passages and alternating voices that are labeled at the top with each of our names, and occasionally there are passages that are written together. And I feel very good that it worked because it's a little bit experimental and not Mm. a typical structure for a book Mm. at all. And Mm. I also have to credit Lou because an initial draft didn't work as well as it needed to in terms of pulling people through the narrative. And... And um, Lou tracked down a copy of this screenplay classic called Save the Cat. And she (laughs) read it, and she took it to heart, and she took our manuscript and figured out how to make it the mystery, the the exciting read that it is today. (laughs) So, So in early drafts, it wasn't, there wasn't this mystery of how did they meet that was driving and why did he betray potentially betray at a um at the heart of it how was the did the first draft read because when you're reading the writer and the refugee as it is now uh there still is you're along for the story of part of how the project begins unfolding and i think one of the lovely things about it is you get to, as the reader, you get to see insights into what each of you as you, uh, Lou and Nancy as writers are thinking at these different moments within the unfolding of the mystery. Yeah. I, you know, um, I don't know if, if, if I'm answering that question quite, quite straight, but remember that, Nancy hadn't been able to read the play um, because it wasn't Swedish. And because it, it wasn't Swedish, and translated, you know, until we translated it, and you eventually got the French copy, and you could translate from the French, and we worked off the Swedish and so forth. So we could, in a sense, because this material was so emotionally potent and potentially conflict-ridden. You know, here is my father, <laughs> and you, you know whom I'm sort of his artistic integrity that I defend. And of course, this is a heroine of Nancy's that he is using for his rather brutal play. So anyway, so what we do is to say, let's focus on the play. And that way we can, okay, we, we can do this. We can do this. And once we were done with that, the question was, how do we continue? And there maybe a little bit save the cat. Uh, but I, I felt we have to go with the mother theme. The mother theme is at the crux of all of this. And that's why you have at the beginning of the book then the epigraph um, from the play, mm-hmm. uh, 
the strong mother is the most powerful of all, uh, Madame Angelica to her son Gabriel from Marty's Shadow. Yes. From 1948. Yes. Is this maybe the moment when I could read a little excerpt to bring Edda to life a little bit? Because yes, please. I just want to preface this by explaining that this is a relative of mine that no one ever talked about. In your family? In my family. And meeting Etta, I can't even believe that because she's such an a, a, a amazing, strong, um, she's, a, she's a revolutionary as a, a woman and how she lived her life in those times and what she survived yes. and lost. She was amazing. And um, I'll just read a little passage here. This is how I discovered... Uh, who Etta was. She once a typewriter. It's November 1945, not long after the end of the war, and she wants a typewriter sent to her in France. I think perhaps she's a journalist. Later I will learn that the reports she plans to type are strange. Later I will learn that her books have been destroyed. Later I will come to obsess over her, identify with her, and invoke her to strengthen me against pain. But when I first encounter her, as I flip through family files in Chicago concerning relatives no one talks about, all I know is this. She wants a typewriter. Her name is Marietta Fadern, but she calls herself Etta. Etta, a Yiddish name from the Hebrew for hidden. The file in the family office doesn't contain the request she's sent to Chicago. I have only the reply from Miss Hutchinson, my great-grandmother's secretary, along with notes accompanying her thorough investigation. Shipping a typewriter from Chicago to Paris in 1945 turns out to be difficult and expensive. And besides, given the scarcity of metal after the war, there were no typewriters to be had. Etta becomes my obsession. Etta, the anarchist, the feminist, the writer, my cousin who knows 16 languages, among them Russian, French, Hebrew, Danish, Ancient Greek, Yiddish, and Swedish, my cousin who publishes 25 books, my cousin who worships Beethoven and Goethe, who knows much of Faust by heart, who holds literary salons, who impresses the journalists and writers who interview her with, the depth of, with her depth and charisma. My cousin, who also strikes people unmistakably as something of a witch, a point I will return to in due course. My cousin Etta is a force of nature, yet no one in my family has ever breathed a word about her to me. She's the most interesting woman I could imagine, but somehow the family has lost sight of her. And when you ask your... Thank you, Nancy. Thank you for reading that. Um, and it shows us so clearly what's at stake for you in in what's to come in the rest of this the journey. Um, which is there no answers from your family then? Because now what do, the, how do they respond to the writer and the refugee and you bringing Etta into the light with squarely into the light? Well, they're, they're fascinated with what I, with what I turn up, but they haven't, they have really nothing to add to the story. I mean, there are some letters, a couple of letters that I track down. Um, but my great uncle, who's the one who got, uh, 13 relatives out of Europe uh, died when I was very young. And um, these stories have just been lost, completely lost. The only person that, in, that, that the family talks about is Edda's brother, Paul Fadern. And he was a disciple of Sigmund Freud's and came to New York as a refugee. And um, 
so the man the man's story got told, but the woman's story did not get told. Can I add to that? <laughs> I mean, it's not really my place, but um, no, I'm just, there is a political side to this as well, I suspect. I've just read Emma Goldman's uh, biography. And Ada read Emma Goldman's biography when it came out in the early 30s. And she wrote to Emma Goldman and said, please, 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 can you let me translate this into German? And Emma Goldman, and then then in this letter as well that Nancy dug up from the Emma Goldman archives, Emma Gold or Etta is saying, I, I just loved uh, your, and could identify so much with your biography. Um, so there was a linkage there that was political, strong women, feminist for sure, but also anarchists. And think 1947, the U.S. after the war, you know, Emma Goldman was, of course, sent from, you know, back to, to Europe from, from the U.S. So that was not a, quite a kosher connection, would be my guess. That's fair. Absolutely. Yeah. And my, uh, my business-oriented family in Chicago probably wasn't thrilled about having anarchist relatives in Europe. After the war. Very the tricky. War. Right. You well, know. even before Cold the war. war. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for you personally, Nancy, it seems like um, when you found at a... I can't remember if it's in the book, like the moment, like how long had you been on Etta's trail? Like to know that she was like, she could be like a hero for you, regardless of what the rest of your family felt. So um, it all, it all came together pretty quickly. Um, it was possible to figure out who she was. Um, but I was the one who gave her a Wikipedia page. Right, right. <laughs> and But how long have you, like in your own lifetime, because with Lou, with her father, Stieg Daggerman, it's been her whole life, uh, this this sort of, uh, not sort of, relationship. And with you, with Etta, what is it? Uh, so I was actually doing um, some research in 2011. I wanted to write something personal for my younger son's bar mitzvah. And so I was doing some digging into family history for that reason. I wanted to tell him some sort of story. Of course, he hasn't even ever read the thing that I put together for him. But that, that was when I discovered Etta. So it wasn't until about, um, well, less than a decade ago that I even realized mm. who, that she existed or who she was. But what a discovery. What mm. a discovery. Now, <laughs> yes, now she's my obsession. Today, still, still love it. Today on Living Writers, Lou Daggerman is here and Nancy Pick, the writer and the refugee. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be back. Sous-titrage 
welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm so glad you did. Um, you've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor today in the studio. Lou Daggerman and Nancy Pick are here. The writer and the refugee, their book, the book we're talking about today, um, about Stieg Daggerman and Edda Federn. 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 <laughs> means feathers in German. They probably were writers who wrote with quills. Oh, wonderful. Great. And then Etta is hidden. Yes, in Yiddish. That's what, so her, that's what her hidden, name means. Hidden feathers. The hidden feathers? Um, yeah. So thanks. Hidden writer, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for choosing the, the music for today's program. Lou, would you say a few words about Yeah, so what we just heard was La Marjolière's course, the French national anthem. And as Stieg and Etta are sitting in this dingy hotel room, refugee hotel room in Paris, they are talking about her older son who died in the French resistance. Captain Jean. Yeah. And he, he was a hero and he was, you know, heralded now as a French hero who died for um, the fatherland or the motherland. Pour la patrie. And Etta and Stieg are in agreement that that is bullshit. He fought the Nazi, Nazis and he uh, died for humanity, but he did not die for France. And so after the war, and in France, uh, there was an incredibly, of course, a very strong nationalist movement and um, with the Gaulle and so forth. And both Etta and Stieg reacted very strongly. They were internationalists. They had seen what nationalism, ethno-nationalism, what that had brought. So... Now, Stieg writes a whole piece, an article, a glowing article, about Etta's older son, and which is published in Sweden uh, in the memory of Capitan Jean. But then he writes the play. And the play, I just need to say that, it is inspired by Etta and her relationship with her younger, non-heroic son, for sure, whom Stegen identifies with. But the mother in the play is not, thank God, a Jewish refugee that had suffered through the war and was broken. No, it is a French bourgeois woman who has lived off German money during the war, but after the war is not talking about that. That is to be hidden where, as she speaks about her heroic son. So it seems that, and, and I think what the writer and the refugee makes clear too, is that it's uh, the, the writer Stieg Daggerman took inspiration from this emotional tension, this loss, this pain that he was witness to in this this hotel room, this apartment, but not, um, but then maybe 
maybe said too, like, maybe he shouldn't have divulged that it was, like, sort of based on this real-life couple of people who were still living in that moment, because the rest of the, 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 the facts of the characterization that he built, that he made up, that he created, was fictionalized, like you just pointed out, Lou. So, so you, you know, so that is interesting. So how does that information happen because now when the play is staged which this this became Stieg's most famous play most translated most staged it's two and a half hours too, yeah right with two intermissions it's, it's that's how we played it in New York yeah yeah and you know so people stage it a little bit differently but in different places but um so Almost every time when it is staged, it says, well, you know, Stig Dagerman was inspired by Etta Fedon and her sons for this play. <gasps> and, um, you know, so how, how did that come about? And because that was a question for me, really. Uh, did Stig, uh, you know, was he the one who was talking about it? So it's complicated. There was no mention in any papers at the time when he wrote it. So this is now 47, 48. Um, about Etta Feren. What was mentioned was he had been inspired by people he had met in Paris. He was, you know, various interviews. But Stieg dies in 54, and there is a biography that's written. The person who knows, of course, that the play was inspired by Etta very closely is his wife. And she then, with a biographer has shared the knowledge of the name of Etta Feren. So that was the first time that it came in print. So let me just add here that Lou's father, Stieg, is very much studied in Sweden by academics and by journalists. There's been a lot written about him. And even if Lou was... A little nervous when I emailed her because the content of the play turned out to be so difficult. We were also super lucky because the academics had not touched this play. Nobody had done the research into into the people that the play was based on. Why? Why is that? Do you think, Nancy or Lou? Um. I'm not quite sure, maybe, because a lot has been written about Stieg and mothers. Um, there is a psychoanalyst in Sweden, you know, very well known, who has written about the play, but not about Etta. I think it was fate. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this was a project that was waiting for the it two of you. It was waiting for us to do uh, it. Let me, let me, uh, I mean, what is very interesting with Stieg's play is that it's not very Swedish. It's obviously set in France, and it is about post-war France, even though it has this incredibly psychological portrait that between a mother and a son that can be applied anywhere. The play has been staged in Sweden and televised and so forth, but it has mostly been played in countries that have gone through war. And um, 
you know, it's going to be staged again in Greece. It's uh, now getting translated into Hungarian. And so I wonder if Swedish researchers were never really tuned in to this. Because, because of the aspect of war being what connects people because to the moment Sweden, of the play, of course, post-war. being neutral for years and years. Yeah, you Hasn't know. fought a war since the 1700s. I yeah, think, yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, it's not a very Swedish play in that regard. And I think it's important to to mention again at this point in the program that the the play takes a very different turn. Um, Stieg Daggerman's characters of Madame Angelica and Gabriel um, depart greatly because the the play. Spoiler alert: um, <laughs> the the son the that is murders his mother. Um, which does not happen in real life um, at all uh, for for Etta and her younger son, Michelle. I mean, there might be a metaphorical release for Michelle potentially when Etta dies, but that's outside the framework of... I, I, Nancy, do you want to speak to that? Well, I'll just say that the the real-life story of what happened is totally fascinating. And Lou and I, in our buddy buddy movie phase when we went to France to investigate that history. What It was an amazing journey, but I'm not going to tell you what happened because you have to read the book. <laughs> not at all. Not about relatives or... Yeah. No. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. It was, it was about Well, that relatives. is very surprising uh, what happens. Very surprising or, what mm, happens, but mm, that's as far as mm. we're going to go. Okay. Can, can I <laughs> say something? Yes, and would you like to read something, Lou? Mm, yeah. Um, I, d- I just wanted to say, <laughs> um, you know, what... What Stieg does with this play, I just finished a documentary that you you mentioned, The Making of a Man. Uh, I just found this material so rich, and and Nancy is is in the documentary, and Michelle, and so forth, and Etta. But what what Stieg saw in post-war France was really an incredible climate of... uh, toxic masculinity, where, you know, the young men, you know, the Nazis had goddamn occupied their country and came in and took the country and their women. And they they needed to now say, well, no, I was, you know, I am strong. And, we, and so the play is very much about a culture of toxic masculinity, and there is no room for somebody who isn't, who is fear, male, who is fearful, who isn't courageous, who doesn't play into the game. And so the murder in the play isn't, as I see it, it isn't, you know, just I'm revenging my, my horrible mother. It is to prove to his mother that he is now a man too. He can handle a gun and a rifle. He is able to take a life. And now she can love also him. And as described in the book, um, it seems how Stieg wrote it to be staged was the unraveling of this, this character, the son, Gabriel, 
and how he was realizing this has he had his mother almost in his arms in a way after he'd Mm -hmm. killed Mm -hmm. her trying to be like now you can love me right right yeah so it's not surprising that this has been a really um this is an electric play to see staged it seems Mm -hmm. and it's also a difficult play for audiences they maybe walk out changed by it is that fair to say i think i think that's fair to say so so part of the um journey and it's been quite a journey thank you lou um was that together we translated the play and then uh it was it was produced off off broadway in new york in 2017 and the Actors were absolutely spectacularly good, and the performances were really very moving. And I think people were always glad that they had been there to see it, even if for some of them it was a difficult play to see. Yeah. And so what we have done is that we have filmed the play and done, yeah, sort of a teleplay version. So we have that. Yeah. Let's take a short break, and then we come, when we come back, more today with Lou Daggerman and Nancy Pick, the writer and the refugee. I'm T. Hetzel, and you've got Living Writers. We'll be back. Keep it inside And you're the driving force in my life There isn't anything or anyone that I could be And it just wouldn't be right And if I didn't have you by my side You were there for me to love and care for me When skies were gray Whenever I was down Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on Living Writers, Lou Daggerman and Nancy Pick are here. The book, The Writer, and The Refugee. Um, thanks for picking the songs for today's program. I think we were just hearing a little boys to men there. Um, Mama. Yeah. The, the, I think we know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the, you know, the mama that we want to have. And so... Yes. And so, Lou, um, let's hear, earlier in the program, we heard um, 
Nancy Reed, uh, let's let's hear um, from you now, please. Yeah, I have scoured Stieg's writing. I've tried to map his creative flow, so sensitive to disturbance and blockage. When the 24-year-old Stieg meets Etta, he is already at a turning point in his brief career and in his marriage. Maybe this is what I wanted to know. There is solace for me in those facts because later Stieg dies when he's with my mother and me, his new family, so obviously inept at helping him. An early imprint, a three-year-old watching her mother's desolate weeping. But before us, others had failed. I see that better now. And I think I understand why. Thank you. Thank you, Lou. Well, this book is is so much... um, There's so much emotional... uh, And there's emotion, there's history. It's about loss and family um that you're writing about the story but it's it's also about the present because it's about your own um uh i mean it's very brave of you to take on this project because it's a a loss of and a carrying forward and, and figuring out who who you are with these people who these family members who aren't here now. We need to mention that Stieg Dagerman committed suicide when he was only 31 years old and that Lou has been very much on a journey to discover him through his writing since she does not have memories of him because he was too little when she when when he died. And and in the beginning of the book, The Writer and the Refugee, um, you used this the powerful symbol of the typewriters as a way in to this this story, this journey. Um and Lou, you had um your your father's typewriter, your mother put it in your your childhood bedroom. Um <laughs> I the think- little girl's bedroom, yeah, in this black typewriter. Yes, yeah. with such which has such a, a force behind mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Um and and then and Nancy, you you wrote about how Edda was in need of a typewriter again, you know. Um Yes, because she was making her living uh as a palm reader and she would type up these very psychologically insightful reports that really had nothing to do with people's palms, but everything to do with her ability to see into people's souls. And that's why she needed her typewriter. And and in this moment, when when Edda and Stieg met, um, you found the you found evidence where it's Stieg's hands. Uh, he attracts suffering. Yes, um, this is what Edda said to him. Yeah, you know, it was so fascinating doing our research because there are little, little nuggets here and there in biographies, and you know that oh, th- this this was Stieg and Etta when they met, and, and you know, yes. So 
she again we go back to this hotel room and he he is reaching out his hands and she's reading them and we know through Anne Marie his wife who told the biographer that he really felt seen by Atta and one reason was, I don't know if it was a good idea to tell this young man that, <laughs> you, you know, you, your life is about suffering. But he felt seen. He felt that that, that is so. And because at that moment, he had been through so much. Um, his, the, his mother. Yeah, you know, uh, it was his, his mother. And it's also his, his paternal grandparents yes. who really felt like his real parents, you know, to him. They were there all through his childhood. And then um, the grandfather is murdered um, on the farm. Stieg is no longer there. He's in Stockholm and going to school. But he gets this message that the grandfather is gone and the grandmother, beloved grandmother, dies um, a few few weeks after. I imagined going back to this moment when they met, and this is what the beauty of what this this book has done too is it it allows someone like me who has um, didn't know I would have a stake in this this meeting and in this journey to have one um, where I can see that there there were the sparks there, like there was something mm-hmm. that that at a probably saw it and needed from Stieg mm-hmm. and he from her to be seen mm-hmm. perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and her to see this is a a young man with like this intellectual like curiosity this this um this power as well that she knew well from her, having it herself as well as being around in circles of others in her through her life so this moment must have been mm. it it yeah. it obviously changed them <laughs> i always ask the question what would you rather be forgotten or immortalized as a monster do you, do you just do you ask that from this project um nancy or just to person on the street <laughs> <laughs> to anyone who's read book or seen the play mm. i think it raises that question so etta etta has been preserved in some way by this play written by a swedish genius but what a portrait, right? Which would she have preferred? I suspect in the end, she's glad that the play was written, however painful it might have been. As an artist, I think there must be something in her that's glad that it was written. But now we have written this book, which is a companion piece to the play. <laughs> and we published it in Swedish, in French, in English, and, you know. So I think she can be seen more than, or more, but, you know, something else than a monster. <laughs> Maybe appreciated as this the spark that made something, some new art happen, mm-hmm. come into the world. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we have a moment, a couple moments left. Um, Nancy, I know you have a new discovery to share with us, and Lou, um, some upcoming centennial um, news. Yeah, so I just have been uh, tracking down some more of my ancestral women relatives, uh, and one of Edda's cousins is named Edith Klemperer. She's actually the only European relative on my father's side that I ever met when I was a child. 
She was a hypnotherapist. It turns out she was a very early woman in Vienna to get um, her medical degree and to become um, a psychiatrist. And she escaped in 1939 from Vienna with $2 in her pocket and her enormous neon model of the human brain. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> um, and and Lou, um, the centennial, the upcoming centennial. You know, the centennial isn't until 2023, so lots of information will come before then. Uh, what I would like to say is just when I was here last, which was about a year ago, November 2018, we spoke about wedding worries. And what I've done since uh, is to record it as an audiobook. And it's the first Igdagaman audiobook in English. <laughs> and um, I'm going to self-publish it on Audible. So it's not quite there yet, but uh, it's coming. Wonderful. And it was a fantastic experience to do it. So, And, and did you do that? So you were the voice for I it. am the goddamn the... voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse, we have to see. But uh, it was a wonderful way, another way of, again, entering into Stig's writing and bringing me close. I'm so glad to hear it. I'm so, and so it's been, thank you for coming, both of you, um, Nancy Pick, Lou Daggerman. Um, it's, it's been a great hour to talk with you. Um, thanks for coming and, um, and everyone out there, thanks for listening um, today on the program, Lou Daggerman and Nancy Pick, their book, The Writer and the Refugee. Paris 1947, Stig Daggerman, and Edda Fader. Their encounter sparks a brilliant play, but why is it so cruel? I think we've, I think we've got some answers now. Right? <laughs> something, something else. Um, but many mysteries remain. Um, so, re read it and see. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you for thank having us. Oh, thank you yes. for your interest you. in our journey, our crazy journey. <laughs> um, thanks to Gina for engineering. Thanks to Frank Yuli for post-production. Um, thanks to all of you for listening. Hello to mom out there. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. <laughs> From the cradle bars comes a beckoning voice that sends spinning. You have no choice.
Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Sports Report here on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Nick Hornberg, and alongside me are Nabil Baig, Jake Karalexis, and Owen Swanson. You guys are looking at me with a frightened look on your face. Can you can you all hear me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, good, good, good. Yes. Um, Andy Laidlaw hypothetically is supposed to be here, but um, he's not. This is uh, very troubling, and uh, I will have to yell at him later about it. No one needs Laidlaw's takes on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. He's not the worst. Yeah, no, you, <laughs> you you know this. Yeah, no, I do know that. <laughs> um, all right, so it is the midweek. Um, all of Michigan and Rutgers will probably be covered tomorrow. Um, so let's talk about everything but that. I also don't feel like talking about Michigan football right now. Um, so <laughs> let's start. NFL. Uh, first question, and I appreciate that we have a fairly objective jury here. No uh, fans who 